Um, man, this week, it's been a week. Um, Wednesday morning, my daughter had surgery. And uh, from the bottom of my heart, for all of you that have been praying for our family, have called or sent us a text or asked if we needed anything, a meal, anything, none of that goes overlooked. It goes a long way. I felt your prayers this week, and I just want to tell you thank you. You know, uh, Tuesday morning, my daughter didn't have her phone all day when she was in surgery, and in the evening time, um, I gave her her phone, and when she turned her phone on, it just began to, to blow up with messages and uh, phone calls and, um, from her friends. And Tuesday night, I took her to her soccer game so she could be with her team. And um, what we didn't know was that um, one of our good friends since the seventh grade was also her teammate. Her brother committed suicide while the family was at the game. Ninth grade at Lindell High School shot himself in the front yard. These are friends of ours. So I'm going to ask you guys to keep the Everest family in your prayers. It's real out here. And we like to think that no longer even want to face it. And us as the church, we have the solution. And so I'm going to ask you to excuse me this morning if I may just talk with a little more passion or a little more boldness because lives are at stake. And if the church is not willing to step into that, we are missing it. And I think that today's text speaks to exactly what I'm talking about. It's fleeting. Lord, we need you like never before. Show us your way. Show us what you will have for us to do. That we will be willing to step into the mess and not run from it. We love you, and we trust you, because you can be trusted. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in 1 Thessalonians. We started last week in a new series, and today I will um, be speaking from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So I'm not going to delay it. Let's go to the word. It says, for you yourselves know 
brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamely treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become so very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to you, any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We also thank God constantly for this, that when we, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Today, um, I want to speak from the topic or thought, the marks of an effective ministry. The marks of an effective ministry. Um, it's been said that your most effective ministry will come from out of our deepest hurts. It's the thing that burns in our hearts and burdens our soul to the core that ignites the fire in you to see God manifested and glorified through the ways that we've been designed and our stories have been written that will cause us to go against all odds to see that thing that has been placed in us come to life and impact others in such a way that they will look back and see that that thing has been God-ordained. Um, where you carry a burden is where your ministry is waiting to be birthed. And what I've come to realize on this journey is that if you don't know exactly what you've been called to, it's easy to let others define that for you. You know, I get opportunities all the time. Nate, why don't you come be a part of this? Or Nate, why don't you, why don't you come serve here? Or if I didn't know 
what the Lord has called Nate to. It is easy for me to be spread every which way. And so what I'm saying to you is you got to know what you've been called to. And as we begin to explore the ministry of Paul, the writer of 13 of the, the, the 27 New Testament books, uh, it's good to keep in mind that his life could have easily been marked by guilt and shame had he not had a personal experience with Christ that changed the trajectory of his life, that set him on fire for the Lord and sent him on mission to, to, to make sure that everyone that he came in contact with and beyond came into the full knowledge and understanding of who his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was. It was that, uh, it was that, 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 that redeeming work and the rewriting of, them, of his story that, that, that set him on fire and put him on display as a trophy of grace for the world to see. And Pastor touched on it a little bit last week, but I want to remind you of some of the background of this letter. Paul had established the Thessalonian church back in Acts 17. After being beaten and thrown, in, and thrown into a Philippian jail and traveling to, to Thessalonica, knowing that there would be some form of persecution that would take place there because of the message that he was preaching. Upon his short time of being there, some scholars said that he was there about three weeks and he was proclaiming Christ. And in that short time of being there, there were many Greeks and, and Jews that gave their life to the Lord. Three weeks. message that he was speaking and decided that they wanted to stop it. And so it says that they, 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 they formed a mob, they, they started a riot and they began to search for Paul and he was able to flee. But before he did, Relationships had been formed. The gospel had been preached. Faith in Christ had been established. The Thessalonian church was founded and they became active participants in kingdom advancement. Let me rewind that and play that again. They didn't get saved and sit down and say, teach me, give me, do for me. They became active in moving the gospel forward. If I was at the Missionary Baptist Church back in Compton, California, this would be the time I would say, could I get a witness here? I promise if y'all give me some amens, I'm going to preach this morning. I just want y'all to be with me. Are you following what I'm saying? Amen. And so I highlight that because after Paul fled to Berea, his next destination, the faith and the work that was established in Thessalonica, it didn't stop. And one of the truest tests of effective ministry is how well things continue to thrive without the physical presence of the leader there. I mean, Ricky, pastor, is, he's our pastor and he's our leader. But our faith and the way that we live it out shouldn't be predicated by Ricky's presence. One of the first traits of any effective ministry is, is, is how well the mission carries on when the leader isn't there. And Paul set some things in place where he was able to send a letter, but he also knew that ministry continued. And as we park here in chapter two for a bit, Paul was writing to the Thessalonian church 
to address some false allegations and uh, 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 about his motives for coming there in the first place. But he was also there to encourage them in their faith because now the church was facing persecution. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, just like Paul, we should be interested or concerned about what's happening in the lives of the people that we get to serve alongside. And so Paul didn't leave it to chance. He wanted to make sure he was there to encourage them and to have them to continue pressing on for the faith. And so he was concerned enough that he needed to reach out to this people. The called out ones, the ecclesia, those that have been called out of darkness and brought into the marvelous light to be brought in, to be equipped, to be sent back out to the darkness with the light that we carry. That's us, the family of faith. And so it says in verse one, that it says, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. In other words, it wasn't empty or it wasn't without result. Like every time Paul showed up, transformation was taking place. Man, how awesome would that be? That when Christians show up on the scene, that things that are already set in place somehow has to transform because of our presence. And Paul was saying that, you know this, when we showed up, it wasn't empty. It wasn't in vain. Something happened. And he said, but though you already, I mean, we came and we already suffered and had been shamely treated. As you know, he said, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of so much conflict. Something tells me Paul didn't uh, read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> because it seemed like everywhere that he showed up, uh, he made some enemies. Uh, so much so that he found himself suffering at the hands of men that simply wanted him to shut up. And that's why we got to be careful when people, especially other Christians, tell you, hey, you probably need to tone it down a little bit. Because when I look in Scripture, nowhere that people that were radical for Christ toned it down. Matter of fact, they were louder. And, and Paul said that it was something about his suffering out of his experience that made him even more bolder in his approach to share the good news with people. I mean, Paul was so bold. He made statements like, if God be for us, who could be against us? He made statements like, uh, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. He made statements like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was so bold that he called out the Corinthian church to remember who they were before Christ. He said, think of who you were when you were called. He said, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were noble. Not many of you were strong. But God chose what is weak to the world to shame the strong people. He chose the things that were not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him were they able to look back and say, man, that was only God. Yeah. And so my first point is that effective ministry will push through conflict 
for the gospel's sake. I remember years back when I, when I started ministry and began to find myself in leadership positions, and I, and I would come across all kinds of conflict. And I remember calling my mentor and was like, man, do you deal with this much stuff? And I remember his response. I'll never forget it. He said, ministry would be perfect if people weren't involved. (laughs) Because ministry is with people and people are flawed and messy. Conflict will always rear its head. But effective ministry and effective ministers will not let that overshadow the mission. And so effective ministry will always push through conflict for the sake of the gospel. And so in verse 3, it says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. You see, Paul knew who he was, and he knew whose he was. Paul was not suffering from identity crisis. He understood the mission of which he was sent to accomplish. And so he says that we speak of men approved by God, entrusted with the gospel. And, and too often I see believers forfeiting our God-given calling for the sake of being liked by others or simply to keep the peace with all those who disagree with the very message we've been entrusted with and called to preach. In, in Matthew 59, in 5 and 9, Matthew 5, 9, it tells us that we are, uh, uh, are to be peacemakers. It says blessed are the peacemakers. It does not say blessed are the peacekeepers. You know, sometimes we have to disrupt the peace of people in order to make peace with people. Do I have a witness here? Man, I feel like I'm at home. Anytime I say, uh, sometimes we have to be willing to disrupt peace in order to make peace, which again will make us blessed. Are y'all with me today? We can't always go along to get along, especially it ain't right. And we can learn from watching Paul. He wasn't interested in playing it safe. He put it all on the line for the sake of seeing the kingdom advance, the kingdom of heaven being advanced here on earth. You know, he understood that he needed to tailor his methods. Y'all do realize that, right? When, when you, everywhere you go, every environment, don't speak uh, church terminology. There are some people that's not going to understand church lingo. And so when you show up in other places that the Lord is sending you to, you will have to tailor your message. This is not a one size fit all. In order to reach those that are not coming to this place, we have to communicate a different language. And so Paul understood the importance of tailoring his methods according to the audience that he was targeting. But Paul never changed his message. That's the difference. 
we will have to do some other things to reach those in other environments, but our message must never change. And so um, he knew that his presentation must be altered for the appropriate situation, but the truth of the good news must never be compromised. And if we were to take a snapshot of Paul's ministry, we would see that he went what others wouldn't. He said what others wouldn't. He did what others wouldn't. All while training the next generation of leaders to come behind him. He always had someone with him. Timothy, he modeled for those that were coming behind him how to live out your faith in a world that does not have faith. And that's why I'm so passionate about working with young people. Because if we don't teach them, I can guarantee you there is a world waiting for them that's waiting to teach them what they think is right. And so Paul always had someone with him to be able to model how you live this out. And so the question that I would ask you today, who are you discipling? Who's discipling you? Because whether you know it or not, someone is waiting to disciple our next generation. And they may not be discipling them towards truth. And Paul modeled this so well. He didn't allow outside voices to distract him from the mission. The ending of verse 4 says, we were not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. And in verse 6 he said, we were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. And my second point is that effective ministry always seeks the Lord's approval above men. If I'm honest, if we're honest, how many of us can sit here or stand here with conviction and say that there are times we don't want man's approval? I can't. And I'm sitting here preaching on it this morning. But there are times where I battle the temptation to please men. When I desire the pat on the back or the recognition that should only come from the Lord himself. There are times when I want to be acknowledged for the things that I've done that was good. And can I tell you, that's not of God. That's a fleshly desire. And if we're not careful, we can begin to work for man's approval or the approval of the crowd while missing the approval of the Lord. We have to get to the point in our lives where we think about or we say to ourselves that what other people think of me is none of my business. Whether good or bad, whatever a person thinks of me is none of my business. 
And Paul is saying, even though I could have made demands as an apostle of Christ, as one that has been sent, I didn't force my demands upon you, but I was gentle like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. I was just holding one of my staff members, baby, two days ago, and I watched how she watched me. I was so excited. Oh, the baby here. Let me see the baby. She bought the baby. She I asked, can I hold her? You know, you don't just pick people's kids up. So I, can I hold her? Hold on, let me, let me make sure I clean my hands and sanitize. And I picked the baby up. And I know that she trusts me. I built a relationship. We have a relationship. We, I consider her like my family. But I watched how she watched me. And Paul is saying, I came to you in that manner. As a nursing mother taking care of her little ones. Effective ministry should reflect all of these traits. We should be gentle. We should be caring. We should be aware. We should be overprotective at times. We should be in love. Effective ministry, effective ministry should reflect these traits. In verse 8, it says, So being effectually desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives also, because you have become so dear to us. And so my third point is this. Effective ministry is done up close. Effective ministry is done up close. Paul didn't lead from a distance. He did life with his people, and it was his desire to do so. In the ministry that I lead, Young Life, we've been doing ministry for 82 years in all 50 states, in 104 countries, and we have never veered from our mission. We do ministry with people in their context. We call it earning the right to be heard. We don't just expect to show up on a scene and want people to hear what we have to say, but we believe that we have to earn it. How arrogant of us as Christians that we believe that people owe us the right to listen to our message. I could promise you, you get out of East Texas, it's very different. We earn the right to be heard. Here's one thing I know that as a life lesson learned is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And they know how much you care by showing up. The ministry of presence. You know, this week or this past week, the pastor probably won't even want anyone to know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. But 
He called multiple times throughout the week, sent text messages to see how Kaniah was doing. When she got out of surgery, he showed up and checked on her and prayed with her. Do you not think that that didn't mean nothing? I can guarantee you that when Pastor Ricky opens his mouth now, he's going to have Kaniah's attention just a little bit more. Because the ministry of presence changes things. When I talk to kids that I deal with in the community, one of the things that they always respond to me in, they say, Nate, we have churches on every single corner. Do they not know the hell that we deal with on the day-to-day? Why is no one showing up? But yet they want to give us a flyer and invite us to their building? Why would I go there? I don't know anybody there. They haven't done nothing for my family. We struggling, and I don't know where no one is. Why would I want to go to that place? One of the things that wrecked my soul this week, I heard my daughter on a call with her friend. They were FaceTiming, and they were talking about Braden. And I heard her friend ministering to my daughter. And she said, it's sad that he would take himself out like that. But it's even more sad and devastating that he didn't have Jesus. With every day, that that will be their reality if they don't know Jesus. And we are the ones that know him. And so it's our responsibility to make him known. It may cause uncomfort. So what? Someone is going to die from this world without knowing who Jesus is today. Because someone decided to share their life with me. I wanted zero to do with Christianity. Every Christian that I came in contact with would share their faith with me and left me to live exactly how I was living. No one stepped into my world. But the moment that someone stepped into my world and began to do life with me, they didn't judge me for how I was living. And trust me, I was living in hell. They didn't judge me. They didn't try to force me to come to their church. They didn't do any of that. They simply showed up and did life with me. And it was because their life was being modeled in front of me that I was catching something that I didn't even know that I was hungry for. And I began to ask, why do you live like that? Why do you do the things that you do? How can you love your family like that? Why don't you respond the way that other people respond? And when I began to ask those questions, because we were life on life, he was able to give me answers. And because he was able to give me answers and I trusted him because he spent life with me first. I said, man, I want that. And it caused me to turn my back on everything that I knew and pursue Jesus like nothing else. 
And because of somebody was willing to be uncomfortable enough to come into my world, I stand here before you today. Do you realize what that kind of transformation would do for someone? Paul said, I'm going to earn the right to be heard. Paul didn't do ministry in this manner. Paul's greatest sermon in Thessalonica was with his life. Not in his writing, but in his walking. Not in his exposition, but in his experience. Not in his professing, but in his practice. He took his text from James that said, faith without works is dead. And he made his points on the pavement of the streets of Thessalonica and other places like it. He didn't do it with his tongue, but he done it with the testimony of his life in the midst of people. I like to say, well done, always carry more weight than well said. Let me rewind that and play that again. Well done always carries more weight than well said. Everybody is talking. People don't care about words. They want to see what your action looks like. And that's why Paul was able to say things like this in verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses in God also. How holy and righteous and blameless our conduct was among you believers. See, Paul wasn't a stranger to his people, and they weren't a stranger to him. They were witnesses because Paul lived his faith out loud while doing life with them. Now, I don't know if you know this, but every professing believer of Jesus Christ, you are a preacher, whether you know it or not. You may not stand up here like me or pastor does, but you are a preacher. I never forget getting a call from this youth minister a few years ago. He called me and asked me, and my wife may remember this and she's probably going to start laughing, um, I can go tell my story to him. And I'm kind of threw off like, what? Saying that, I said, what? So you was with someone that you felt needed to be ministered to. You were there, and you called me to ask me if I can go? Wait, 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 wait. Hold up. You on staff at a church. 
You've been to seminary. Scratch all of that. You've been saved. And so you mean to tell me that you missed an opportunity with someone to call me and ask me if I can go share my story with them? Has God not done anything for you? Done for you. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I've been made alive. I had no hope, but now I have the hope that comes from Jesus Christ. And if you don't know any of this to give him, you know what he's done for you. And we ought not be ashamed to tell the story. And so my prayer is that we will find ourselves being guilty of being an effective minister of the gospel because someone's eternity depends on it. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that on today, that someone feels just a little bit more bolder. Say, I'm not going to run for what I've been called to, but I'm going to run towards it, and I'm going to trust you with the results. Thank you for loving us so much that you will send your only son to die a death on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen.